Outstanding. Thank you, Michael. Great message and delivered wonderfully. All right, I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 18. And uh, as you're finding your way there, um, we're in a series just started last week, a series on making disciples called The Mission is Everything. And, um, and so each week, we're going to be looking at one of the ways in which we make disciples, in which we fulfill the mission of the church. Uh, the mission is everything. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that everything is the mission. It's kind of an important uh, distinction there. Not everything we do contributes to the mission. And so we really, this, this is designed to help us become more focused. Are we doing things that don't contribute to the mission? Because we're kind of in a point in time where we really don't have the luxury of that. So we have to think through very strategically how are the things that we do contributing to our mission, which is the making of disciples. And so really... I think the making of disciples, it's really a pretty simple plan that goes like this. Know, grow, go, repeat. I mean, that's really the plan. First, we have to, we, we have to know. We come to know Jesus. We come into a relationship with Jesus. Call that becoming a Christian. Call that being born again call it becoming a follower of Jesus, lots of different ways to say it because it's such a beautiful, multifaceted experience. There's different ways to say it, but essentially what we're saying is we come to know Jesus. We come into a relationship with him. And then in that relationship, we begin to grow. He begins to change us. He begins to transform our attitudes. He begins to change our actions. We become to be more shaped into his image and his likeness, we begin to resemble him, we begin to grow. So we know, grow, and then out of that, because he is changing us, we go. We engage his mission. And there's, there's lots of ways in which we go. Of course, the primary one. The primary one would be to, to go and evangelize, reach out to people. Do you know the same Jesus that I know? But there's other ways in which we go also. Really, today, in a sense, is going. Because we know the Lord, because we're growing in Him, we've, we've, we've come here. We've gathered. Um, we go in fellowship. We go to other believers. We reach out to them. We, we connect with them. Uh, we go in ministry. We go and serve our community. We go and serve others. All of that is part of the, of the go. And of course, missions. If when we go and engage the mission of God on a, a beyond just our, you know, our, our local church level, although there is local missions, there's state missions, there's national missions, there's international missions. All of that is part of the go. And then... We repeat. This is a, a process that goes through all of our lives as believers because we're continually coming to know Jesus better and better. And then that in turn allows us to grow more and that in turn gives us more of a heart for the things of God and his mission. And the repeat, the know, grow, go, and repeat, the repeat is important because we are not the only group trying to make disciples. I think we... I think this is something that we completely overlook. 
when it comes to this thing of discipleship. We're not the only group trying to make disciples. You're going, oh, you're talking about the Mormons. Well, yeah, them too. But I'm telling you, every day of life, our culture is making disciples. The culture is trying to disciple you every day. Every day, the culture is trying to shape you. Every day, the culture is trying to get you to engage their mission, okay? And so it's not really a question of if I'm a disciple. I am a disciple. The only question is, whose disciple am I going to be? Am I going to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Or am I going to be a disciple of this world? So if we think this business of making disciples, oh yeah, preacher, that's great. Yeah, okay, that's one of those things. No, no, no. It is the thing. And if we're not doing it, it's being done to us. So, today we're going to think about the subject of instruction. Because we're all taking our cues from somewhere. See, the culture is trying to instruct us every day. And, in, and that, the point of that instruction is that they're trying to disciple us to their mission, their cause. And so where are we, so, so really, right now, as we prepare to, to launch into this, as we read our text and then unpack it a little bit, really what every one of us should be asking right now is where am I, where the instruction that I'm getting, where is it coming from? How is it coming to me? Because we are being instructed. We are being taught. Um, So, kind of a long introduction there to our text, but um, Acts chapter 18, verses uh, beginning in verse 24 through 28. And I'm going to ask if you're able to do so, please stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught Accurately, the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples, to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, we ask that you would confirm your word in our midst this morning. Help us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that your word is our instruction. May we take it to heart. May we take it to the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
You may be seated. I don't know if you've ever had the feeling that somehow uh, you're, maybe you've ever had this thought, you know, my spiritual situation doesn't seem to fit the typical pattern. I don't know if you've ever felt that way or not. Many people have just kind of come up in a very typical spiritual pattern, okay? Um, there, there have been times in my life as a Christian that I thought, you know, my, my I don't know, my situation doesn't, doesn't completely fit the power. I, was raised, I wasn't raised in the Baptist church, I was raised in the Methodist church. I came to faith at age 18. Um, so a lot of the people that I knew um, and kind of hung out with, my, my pattern, my story didn't quite exactly line up with theirs. You may feel that way today. You may be here today and you say, listen, you know, I never, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I never went to church as a kid, didn't start going until I was an adult. You know, my pattern, it's, it's all been different. If you, so if you feel that way, if you feel like somehow my spiritual situation doesn't fit the typical pattern, then Apollos might be your guy. Because as you read this man's story here in Acts, it seems to vary from what we see in, uh, in other places. Um, the order of his discipleship path varied from the norm. First of all, he wasn't, a lot of these guys that we read about in Acts were from either Jerusalem or Judea, some of that, you know, that kind of the area that we associate with the life and ministry of Jesus. Paulus wasn't from there. He didn't come from Jerusalem. He came from a place a long ways far away in North Africa. Um, the guy, you can tell here, he has a public ministry, but he's really not completely yet grounded for it. It's almost like he kind of jumped a couple of steps, had to come back and pick up a couple of steps. Um, things about Apollos just don't seem to fit the typical pattern. But there is one thing that is true of all discipleship paths, if in fact they are a path of discipleship. And that one thing is instruction. We see it in Apollos' life. We see it in the life of every follower of Jesus, that there is instruction, teaching that comes to us. We see this early in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42. And after that day of Pentecost, all those people are saved. Then we get this description, and they continued in the apostles' teaching, the apostles' instruction. Instruction is always a part of this process of making disciples and the, the word disciple actually means learner a learner if you are a disciple is someone uh, who uh, who is being instructed in the times of Jesus rabbis had disciples and they would the 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 they would reach out to a protege and that protege would follow them and in the following of him, 24-7, he would receive the instruction from that rabbi. And in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, Jesus says, come to me. And then he, as a part of that same thought, and learn from me. Th those things aren't separate. Those things are, are, are part of the, they're two sides of the same coin. To come to Jesus is to say, I'm ready to learn from you, Jesus. 
to be instructed by you. And so we read our text this morning, and our text is a story. And, you know, in the Bible, when we look at the Bible and this instruction that comes to us, it comes to us in different forms. And sometimes it comes as a discourse. We read letters from Paul. Sometimes it comes to us in poetic fashion, like the Psalms. A lot of time, the instruction that we receive from Scripture comes to us in the form of a story. And it is really important to know that you handle a story, you interpret a story differently than you do a letter. They're not the same literary type. And so, real quickly, I just want to walk you through here uh, the, the unfolding of a biblical story, because there's always these elements that are in it, and we see these elements in the story that we read this morning, and these elements help us understand what the main point that's being made. So in every, in every uh, story, you always begin, there's a setting. The story opens somewhere. There's a, there's a setting, Okay. Once upon a time, if you're a Star Wars, once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away. Okay, that's the setting. That tells you where this story begins, okay? So this story has a setting, and we learn about this man named Apollos, and we learn a lot of stuff about him. We learn that he's from Alexandria. We learn that he's eloquent. We learn that he's well-versed. We learn that he's um, instructed in the way. We learn that he's fervent in spirit. He's a very passionate guy. He has a lot of enthusiasm. We learn that he taught accurately. What, what did we read here? That he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. So that's the setting. But there's a second part to every story. And you could call that the rising action in a story. Okay? Every story, there's a setting, and then all of a sudden, just imagine the, 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 the storyline kind of moving upward, the rising action, and it's always characterized by tension. There's always some tension. If, if you don't have tension in a story, you don't have a story. There's, you're just talking. Every story has some tension in it. It can be tension within a person and an individual. It can be an, a, a tension between people. But there's some kind of tension that's creating, you know, this, it, it, this rising action is creating some tension. Oh, wait a minute. There's, there's, there's a disconnect here. And so the tension in this, the rising action, the tension in this story is that it's said in verse 25 that even though Apollos was taught accurately, he only knew the baptism of John, John the Baptist. So now we're starting to feel a little bit of the tension in this story. But he, but he had a public ministry. Like he was standing up in front of people. And yet there were gaps in his knowledge. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of discussion about exactly what was it that Apollos was missing. And, you know, um, we're really not told here. We kind of have to surmise it from what we are told. And, and I think, I, 
here, here's my thoughts, and you can have your, your thoughts on it as well. But, but when it says that he, he knew only the baptism of John, John had talked about Jesus. John had said, Jesus, this is the Lamb of God. So I think Apollos had a clear understanding that Jesus was the Lamb of God. So he knew the life and he knew the death of Jesus and probably knew the resurrection of Jesus. But did not know the commission that Jesus had given to his disciples. Did not know that Jesus had, been, had ascended, to, had been exalted and now sat at the right hand of God. And did not know about the gift of the Spirit that had been given on the day of Pentecost. The tension is, Apollos knew the truth about Jesus, but he had not yet grasped that Jesus had given a mission to his followers. And not only had he given them a mission, that given them that mission, but he has empowered his followers. You know, Jesus just didn't ask us to go do this work. He's given us his Holy Spirit that enables us. So, so that's the tension in the story. And so every story, you have this setting, then this rising action, and at some point you reach a climax in this story, Okay where there's some resolution of the tension, okay? And so the resolution of the tension is found there in verse 26. It says, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they listened to his sermon. And they knew it was a good sermon. And they knew he was a, a good speaker. And they knew he had understanding about the way, the path of the Lord. But they knew that something was missing in there. And so it says that they blasted him on social media. Oh, it doesn't say that, does it? It says that they got up in front of the whole church and made a big deal about it. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Look at what it says. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So that's the resolution. The resolution is that of ins when, there's, when there's gaps, the answer is instruction. And so then the fourth part of every biblical story is you have the setting, you have the rising action, you have the climax, and then you have a new normal. Because there's some place at which the story then moves on from that point, okay? It, the, now, uh, you, you know, because narratives kind of all are together, so then it just drives the whole story forward. It's, it's uh, the best way I think to describe it is the new normal. And so what's, or maybe you'd say is the outcome. What's the outcome of this story? The outcome is, is that Apollos went to Achaia, which is basically Corinth. He went to Achaia, and the Bible says there that he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. Uh, they were helped, I think, 
the reason that we're told that his ministry had a helpfulness about it is because the mission had become real. Real to Apollos. Real to the believers there. It's real easy for us to rock along through our lives. We know about Jesus. We know he died for us. We believe the Bible. But at some point, when we come to understand that we have a mission, that can change everything. Um, And all of this comes about through instruction. Apollos received this instruction. So, how do we apply this story? I want to think of just four ways this morning that we apply this story. Because the story is about the importance, the crucialness of instruction. That even passionate people, even uh, helpful people, even people who uh, have an understanding about Christian things, that instruction takes it to where God wants it to be. So how do we apply this story? First one's pretty obvious, I think. It's the importance of instruction. That we need to give priority to the Bible. At the beginning of this text, talked about the scriptures. The end of this text, talked about the scriptures. So when we talk about instruction, we're talking about the Word of God. So let's give priority to the Bible. You say, oh great, let's go on, let's go on to the second point. Hold, wait just a minute. There's some data The data tells us that though the Bible is loved, that there is a a fairly widespread recognition and appreciation for the Bible. Though the Bible is loved, it's not really read. And even less than read, it's not really studied. And that's just the facts, folks. We do not engage the Word of God to the degree with the intensity that it calls for. And um, we've all got, hey, you know, it's fine. Have those refrigerator magnet verses, you know, those little one-offs, those little, oh, we, you know, got this, this little verse, this little verse. But systematically, see, Apollos had gaps. Maybe the reason he had gaps Because he had not gone, encountered the Word of God in a systematic fashion. We tend to get unbalanced. We tend to read the parts of the Bible that are favorites. If we love the Proverbs, we find ourselves reading the Proverbs every day. But what about the apocalyptic literature? If we love the apocalyptic literature, what about the law? We all, it's easy to get unbalanced. And But even beyond that, you see this word that appears twice in here. Verse 25, the way of the Lord. And then in verse 26, they explain to him the way of God more accurately. We're not just talking about a body of information. We're talking about a lifestyle. That's what the Bible is to us. The Bible is not just facts that we accumulate. It's and I say this carefully because this can be misunderstood, but it's more like an owner's manual. It's more like a, a, it's a it, it, it describes for us reality and how we live in light of that reality. And, uh, you know, Apollos was a very enthusiastic guy. 
He was fervent in spirit. That is just a way of saying he is passionate. And we love passionate people. We love people who have great energy and enthusiasm. But that alone is not enough. Charisma, though it's often helpful, is not enough. Proverbs chapter um, 19 verse 2 says, Desire without knowledge is not good. Kind of reminds me of what Zig Ziglar said one time. He said, you know, enthusiasm is like running in the dark. Might get you somewhere, might get you killed. Enthusiasm's great. But there has to be, it has to be informed. It has to be instructed. And that is all wrapped up in the importance of instruction. Second application of this story is the variety of instruction. What we see in this text is that there's different kinds of instruction. There is a very public, there's a, uh, an instruction that takes place in front of a, a group of people, whether smaller group of people, larger group of people. There's kind of a public instruction, and then there is a private instruction where Priscilla and Aquila kind of came on a, on a small level with Apollos. And both of those kinds of instruction are important. We need them both in our lives. My question to you today is, who are you getting together with on a one-to-one or a one-on-a-few basis and studying the Bible together? If you're not, I encourage you to. Because, hey, here's, here's the way I heard one person describe it. The sage on the stage, great. But a guide by your side. Both of those are important. We need the sage on the stage. We need the person who gets up and instructs in a large setting. But you know what we also need? We need a guide by our side. Somebody that is walking with us through life. And that we even do the same for them. Um, And so that's the variety of instruction. I don't want you, when I hear me say instruction this morning, I don't want you to think just about what we're doing right here. Because you say, well, I'm not going to do that. That's not my calling. No. But but it's, it's something that we all participate in. You're in a group with another person or, or, or two people, and that's instruction, reciprocal instruction, and we all need that. Then the third application of the story, I think, is just the, we've already said this, the totality of instruction. Apollos had gaps, and I, I need to ask myself, do I have gaps? Are there, are there particular things that I study all the time, that I listen to all the time? But, I'm, but I've got things over here that I'm not hearing incomplete instruction. Um, I, I, you know, this is just me, but I, I bounce back. And whenever I'm my significant, my serious uh, Bible study, I, like you, I've got a plan I, you know, go through, but there's things that I hone in on. And... I go back and forth between Old Testament and New Testament. Last, last year, book of Hebrews. This year, book of Deuteronomy. Okay? 
And whatever, I don't know where I'm going next after I finish Deuteronomy, but I know it's going to be in the New Testament. Because I'm, I'm trying to keep some balance in that instruction. So the, the importance of instruction, the variety of instruction, the totality of instruction, and then the fourth thing that I want to say is the outcome of instruction. The outcome of instruction is twofold, ministry and transformation. First of all, the ministry part. Because of this instruction, Apollos caught a burden for Achaia, for Corinth. God stirred up something in his heart based on this instruction that, that was poured into him. And he began to think, you know what? And, and who I don't know why he, th- maybe he knew people in Achaia. Maybe he knew people in Corinth. I don't know. Maybe it came out of nowhere. Sometimes God just puts a burden on your heart for some kind of particular ministry. But you can't assume that that burden's going to come apart from instruction, from being in God's Word, from being in these discipling relationships. Know, grow, go. That's the pattern. Um, we're going to look at ministry uh, separately during this series. And we'll take a Sunday and we'll just look ex- exclusively at ministry. But now is a good time to say this, is that all instruction should somehow translate into or support ministry. If I get up here this morning and I just tell you things Bible facts, I have failed miserably. If there is not something that you can take away from this that's going to somehow equip you, help you in pursuing your calling, then I simply have not done my job this morning. Um, One of the, the first outcome of instruction is ministry. But also, a second outcome is transformation. And you don't see it in this Acts story, but I want you to see it. And so, I just want to wrap up this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 12. And this is toward the end of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And he talks about Apollos. He says, now concerning our brother Apollos... I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. I want you to think with me just for a moment about the, about the, the, the significance of that and the background to it. You read through the whole book of Corinthians and what you find is you find a deeply divided church. Deeply divided. A church that had lined up under kind of in in the camps of certain individuals there was the Paul group there was a group that said Paul's our guy there was the Cephas group the Peter group there was the group that said he's our guy we're following him we listen to we listen to Simon Peter there was an Apollos group then there was also a group said oh we just follow Christ you know um And so everybody lined up behind their favorite 
leader. And I want to tell you, in Corinth, they loved them some Apollos in Corinth now. They loved him. You know, you think about it. Apollos, he was from Alexandria, so he had, probably had like a really cool accent. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever listened to, I listen to Scottish and English preachers sometimes, and you know what they say sounds so much more spiritual because they say it in this really cool accent. I mean, me, I just get up and talk, and I sound like an oaky, you know? But these guys sound, oh my gosh, it just they're saying the same thing, but it sounds so much better. Paulos, maybe Paulos had this really cool accent. He's kind of exotic. He's from, he's from Alexandria. They didn't know anybody from Alexandria. So all of that is just really cool. It's just got this cool vibe with it. And so they're just loving on Apollos. And Paul had said, you know, maybe you ought to go pay him a visit. And Paul says, no, not going, not going. He, here's my take. Apollos refused to get his ego stroked for the good of the church. Oh, he could have gone. And they would have loved on him. Look, Apollos is here. Come on, y'all. Let's have, let's get together. But he stayed away. Because he knew that at that point in time, it was probably better to not go wading into and making a situation that was bad even worse. Sometimes I wonder, where did Apollos learn that? Where did he learn that? Where did he learn that you don't use your own ego deficits when it divides, when it when it causes, when it, when it hinders and hurts the church. Where did Apollos learn that you put the needs of the body of Christ above your own personal needs? I wonder where he might have learned that from. He learned it from Jesus. That's where he learned it. Because there was a need for instruction. And Apollos and Aquila came to him and said, yeah, you know, Jesus died and Jesus was raised, but Jesus gave us a mission. And that changes everything. Because Apollos heard Jesus teaching and instruction to him which went along these lines not only did I die for you but I gave you a mission which exalts me not you not anybody else but I gave you a mission that exalts me and the spirit and that the spirit of God now empowers you to complete so how about you has the mission of God become your new normal? Is it your new normal? Has your experience of Jesus thrust you into the world to make disciples? That really is the question. The question for today.
I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me for a moment. And I guess the question is, do you receive instruction? Where's your instruction coming from? The world's making disciples. Every day you get up, 